I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone. It's time for The, the Connor and Smith Show. Thank you, Places. All right, today we're going to be talking to actor Nehal Joshi, a great friend of ours uh, that we've known since about 2002. So, wow, almost 20 years. Um, we love Nehal. He's appeared in many shows on Broadway. Across- You're off the same birthday? He's born on the 4th. I'm born on the 5th. Oh, so you sort of almost. Yeah, we're both Cancer Brothers. Um, he's appeared all throughout the country on Broadway in D.C. Um, and is just a great friend of ours. Um, we're going to take a break real quick, and then we'll be right back with Nehal. So, oh, I just blew your line. We'll be right back. Hi, Nehal. Are we live? Now, well, we'll just edit that stuff out. Okay. <laughs> it's so good to hear your voice. Oh my God, it's so good to hear you guys. Matt, say hello. Hello, Nehal. Hello, Matthew. Where are you, where are you at right now? I'm in Williamstown, Massachusetts. I guess I can say that. <laughs> there was no official press release, so... I didn't well, know if I was we, allowed to say where I what I'm doing, but are the authorities okay. still looking for you? Will this tip yes. them off? They okay. are always looking for me. I'm well, I mean, you could be just up there, you know, shopping at the uh, outlets. outlets. Yeah. Yes, I do love I do love Corningware. So <laughs> you are an avid Corningware collector. I am an avid Corningware <laughs> collector. It's really it brings me joy to just hear the sound of those glass lids clinking against. Uh, a dish yeah a nice um we're thinking of starting our own line called corny <laughs> corny wear corny wear yes corny wear is good i like that um getting off to a great start so yes, we've um, done well we're doing good <laughs> nahal um i first met you almost 20 years ago yes you did that's nuts just to say out loud yeah because we're so young and youthful and vibrant. I mean, we are gorgeous. It's really crazy how well we've aged. It's unreal. It's um, amazing. We, we met uh, performing together during the uh, landmark production of The Secret Garden at Olney Theater. Yes, I hear they still talk about it. it it's still talked about a lot. <laughs> it's, yeah. I mean, they do really good work there, you know. But I know that at least once a year, someone comes up to Jason and is like, but what about Secret Garden again? Yeah, um, I, I, I think we've talked about it a few times on this podcast. <laughs> it's come up. Um, yeah. Magic. It was. It we was, had uh, magic to do in a way that Stephen Schwartz never can. So Nahal and I, for our listeners, uh, were the only people coming from Virginia. Yep. And um, we, we happily discovered that uh, and became carpool friends, um, mm-hmm. where basically it wasn't a carpool. Nahal just picked up grandma and took her to the Olney. That's what we did. Yeah. Doesn't, 40, everybody pick up, doesn't everybody pick up grandma and take her to the Olney? I mean, that's their niche audience. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I re- I'll never forget. Oh, my God, that cast. The cast is Peggy incredible. Gates, Sherry Eaglin. I mean, come on. 
We had a good cast. It was a fantastic. <laughs> so it was it was one of those things where and I feel I'm happy to discuss this and I'll handle the legal fees. I think there were great kids in it too. Oh, everybody was great. Um, the ca- cast was fantastic. Yeah. Just seemed it was one of those shows that like the so for non-theatrical people, uh, they have these presentations on the first day of rehearsal. And it was one of those weird, I've only experienced it one other time and it, the show turned out fared a little better, but it was one of those things where they're, all the designers are presenting their ideas and it seemed like none of them had gotten together and spoken before <laughs> that very instant. Um, yeah. Everything was on wheels and we're on a rake. And that, that really, uh, yes, we talked to Peggy Yates. That's where we talked. Yeah, she was a guest and we discussed this production. Uh, how is Peggy? Is she good? Oh, she's wonderful. She's Peggy Yates, you know. Um, but She's like a Kennedy. Peggy Gates. I know, right? She's, yeah, she's so demure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we did a segment on this show, and I feel like I want to do a segment on this production with you as well, because we were the tightest of tight during this. We were. And so just some highlights. So the 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 show's on a rake stage with wheels on every piece of set. Um, and Basically, uh, that was a real problem. Um, we had a scene in Act Two where uh, Rita, blanking on her last name, the little girl. Can't help you. Yeah, I'm really surprised I came up with Rita. Um, <laughs> she went on to Broadway, though. Did she? Yeah. Oh, good for she her. She was in um, Jane Eyre. Huh. Uh, I'm making this up probably, but I think that's true. Um, So anyway, she was singing downstage. I need a place to call my own. And there's a huge shiffer robe upstage that one of the brakes did not get put down or something. And the thing started drifting down towards the little girl center stage. Yes, who could not see it coming, obviously. And the audience was growing audibly concerned. (laughs) And Sherry Eaglin, like a champ, ran out with a feather duster, put the brake down on the shiffer robe, dusted it, patted it on the side, and walked off stage. Yep. Um, another f- fun story from it, that is the bees. The bees. I can, I've forgotten the bees. The bees, the heating ducts, you know, when they had the heat on, somehow stirred a life, you know, to life these bees that were... Right. You know, hibernating. This is and, in the old, only built the theater. Yeah. Too. This isn't in the fancy new, you know, whatever they call it. McDonald's no, this center or whatever it's called. But this it's, was the old place with like <laughs> apple barrel, you know, lighting. Uh, yeah. And so, so bees were in Peggy's white dress when she was out there singing, um, How Could I Ever Know? And she was like, forgive me. Because she was being stung underneath her dress. (laughs) What Um, an amazing show we did. It was fantastic. The 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 other highlight, and I'm so sorry, I'm I'm like come on my show so I can talk. Um the uh come spirit, come charm, where Sherry Edelin's skirt um button broke. 
And she leaned over to me and said, do you have a safety pin? And I almost started laughing because I thought, why would I have a safety pin, Sherry? And I just was like, no. Stephen was Dickon in this production. For I was Dickon and she was music. Martha. Yeah. And so she said, my skirt is falling down. And I just kind of shrugged like, I can't help you. <laughs> and so she was navigating all the choreography, holding one hand to her hip. And it's, it's really a funnier story to do it in person because I remember the choreography and it's really funny how she modulated to, you know. Well, just imagine it. a lot of like starfish looking uh, physical sort of acts in the sense mm. where you have both hands, arms akimbo in a sense, and both yeah. legs out. And how do yep. you navigate that while your skirt is falling down? I stopped singing at a certain point because I was just laughing watching how she was getting through it and then I could see it on her face near the end we all had to turn into a circle and grab hands with each other on either side and make a circle and I saw it on her face when she was like I can't can't make this one work <laughs> and she let the skirt come down and then she got behind Colin's wheelchair and took off her skirt and screamed in glee like like she was around the campfire in the crucible. Yeah, like like she had finally reached freedom. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> well, the other thing about that production is, I mean, those of you who know the score of Steve Garden, it's very legato and it's very pianissimo at a lot of moments. And with uh, having the whole show on rake, with these giant set pieces that needed quite quite a large braking system that made quite a lot of noise when they went down. So we'd be singing these very quiet, eerie, haunting melodies. And right in the middle of it, you'd hear a giant ka-ching! Yeah. Because somebody had to put a break on a set piece. So it didn't kill a little child. Do you remember did. when you all had to be in, like, frames, picture frames? Yeah. And we do the frames were on wheels. They were sort of on, like, glorified dressing racks like you would buy at Bed Bath & Beyond and they were on wheels and we would wheel them around. The problem is we would keep running into each other because it was dark and we couldn't see peripherally. <laughs> and so I would like run into Steve Tipton like at least once a show I felt like and I would have to apologize for that. Oh my God. I, I just remember all of you having to run off stage while singing a high note and wheeling these monstrosities around and then trying to get into the wings without having a pile up. Yeah, because they, they wanted to have the appearance of being in like a giant house, but they didn't have the, I don't think they had the money or maybe they couldn't do it, just like a giant house set. And so they would do a lot of lighting hallways and we would be like pictures in the hallway hanging on the wall in these frames. And then we'd have to run off stage and be like a different uh, motif as they went to a different wing of this giant house, which was all representational than actual. It was also like some of the first that I recall being a part of uh, instances of attempted um, projection design. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. always work. Yeah. Cause Peggy was in that, like Peggy was in a tree in like a tree, like they had a, like a picture of Peggy in a tree that they projected against the back wall of the theater. Um, and sometimes it would just say, uh, you know, windows, windows. <laughs> <laughs> that blue screen of death. The Windows uh, logo kind of took uh, the magic out of everything. Yeah, Windows 95 was great. Wasn't those, weren't those great days? It was Windows 95, <laughs> I believe. Oh, my God. Some of y'all don't realize how great we had it with Windows 95. 
I just want to mention that, that magic. It, it is one of the few shows that is written entirely by women. That's true. And it's a beautiful score and it's a beautiful uh, book and it's a beautiful show. Yeah. Oh, lovely. It, it, it's the only show that when bad reviews came out of it, my, which it happened, it's Googleable. My husband just looked at me like, "How you shouldn't talk about this. It's out there for the world to see. But but uh, I, 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 I won't name. I still I don't know how pregnant Lucy gets up in that tree. I still I don't know how that happens. Yeah, how but. pregnant Lucy got in the tree? Well, yeah. I, I tell it like this. My father used to tell a joke. He'd oh say, no! Oh no! He'd say, <laughs> "My father said, he, oh my gosh, I was going to fix the fence the other day, and I saw this woman stuck in the fence, and I said, oh my gosh." You are the third pregnant woman I have gotten out of this fence today. And she said, I beg your pardon. I am not pregnant. And he said, you're not out of that fence yet either. <laughs> it's a very dark rape joke. You Any, know? If anybody wants to know what it's like to be at a bar with the three of us, this is pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That. But I, what I was going to say was the uh, when the review came out and it was like, how do you take this amazing cast, one of the most amazing we've seen assembled of DC's best talent and mess it up. And I, re I won't name the actor, but he probably wouldn't care if I did. Uh, the actor ran through the backstage holding the paper up and like yelling, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, we had a lot of problems with the show. I can yeah. say that. But uh, yeah. we had fun. That was really the more important thing. And we met each other, which was the best the part. blessing yeah, that keeps the giving now nahal were you already living in the new york city before, no or was that before yeah no no i was a full-on dc actor not and thinking you, i was i thought i was gonna be a dc actor for a while did you move to new york for a show or did you move there and then get into shows it was i moved there for a girl really i i thought i was moving there um for a girl and then it ended up being for a show I actually, um, funnily enough, I booked a show that sort of took me there, which was kind of my Broadway debut, um, which was Three Penny Opera. Um, and I had booked that the summer before it started. But I had met a girl doing Carousel at Olney, Erin um, Davey, who is an actress, um, who some of you may know. And uh, she kind of convinced me to go to New York. And, and I did to be with her and I ended up actually booking a Broadway show before I got there, which I thought was like the easiest thing to do, I guess, at that time, which I am, I laugh at myself thinking about how, how crazy that whole experience was. And we had, we talked to somebody else who's in Three Penny Opera on this show. We talked to Terry Burrell. Oh yeah. Yeah. Terry um, and I did that together. That was a crazy experience. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you've told me some stories. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about Three Penny and what that was like? The insanity of, first of all, it was this, I think, really smart uh, adaptation uh, and setting and design featuring like some really big celebrities there. We had Cindy Lauper. We had Alan Cumming. Um, it, it was done at uh, 54, right? 50, yeah, Studio 54. And must have felt kind of like a throwback to studio 54 because i know you had a lot of celebrities 
coming to see it. Um, can you talk about that crazy experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we talked about this right after that because I have a great photo of the two of us from like when I had come to visit you right after that to see something yep. you were in. And um, I, uh, like, the way I describe it, Jim Dale was also in it, who some of you may know was yep. uh, done a bunch of things. He's Barnum. He, he co-wrote Georgie Girl and also is the voice of the Harry Potter audiobooks. Um, Anna Gasteyer was in it. Nellie Mackay, who's a singer-songwriter. Anna Gasteyer? Anna Gasteyer was in it. Um, and the other person that was in it that was kind of low-key is Carlos Leon, whose name you might not know, except for the fact that he's Lourdes's father, who is Madonna's first child. Oh, yeah, we know. We, um, we go way back. Yes, yeah, so I'm trying to tell this for the audience. You already know all these stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but on a lot of levels, we sort of, there were nights where it felt like we were recreating Studio 54 at Studio 54. And there was just a cavalcade of celebrities randomly backstage at Alan's dress room became sort of uh, its own club inside New York City, like this own speakeasy where, you know, who knew who would be there from night to night. Um, like uh, uh, Galt McDermott, I remember being there, one of the writers of Hair, randomly. And then Kristen Kirk was there, who was from Smallville. And then we had like, um, I uh, we had like Red Graves. They were always like Ron Rifkin would randomly show up, people he, he did cabaret with. There'd just be random celebrities. And of course, Madonna would be there to see Carlos. I actually met Madonna in the cocaine room below what used to be the cocaine room at C-54, which is now the usher's dressing room. And I think they've since turned it into like a patron's lounge if you're like a subscriber. Um, I met her just randomly underneath the stage at C-54. It was wild, but there were there were always, there was like crazy parties. We'd be there till all hours of night because Alan was famous and couldn't go out. Like he would be followed by paparazzi. And a lot of the people in the on the cast would have paparazzi following them, so it was easier for them to just hang out at the theater and go out. Um, but yeah, we 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 partied a, we partied up a storm, and I thought, oh, this is what Broadway must be like. But in, in, in the 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 opera is based on what the Beggars' Opera, yeah. And it's sort of like a, a social commentary, right? Yeah, and I mean, I guess I I didn't talk about that, but the. So Roundabout um, commissioned Wallace Shawn, who those of you, some of you may know as the inconceivable guy, you know, from Princess Bride, or he's the voice of the dinosaur on Toy Story, but he's also like a great also character. My, actor. my favorite guest star on the Cosby show. Really? Oh, yes, right. He was like, was he like a, was he a neighbor? He was, yeah, he was a neighbor and he got a toupee and a sports car and yeah. Yeah, he's, I mean, and he's, what people don't know is he's like, if they've seen the movie, if they're theater nerds and they've seen the movie My Dinner with Andre, he's like this Chekhovian scholar and this really, really bright guy. And he speaks like five languages and he, he was hired to do a translation of Three Penny Opera by Bertolt Breck and Kurt Weill um, from the Beggar's Opera. And he did this kind of very iconoclastic caustic acerbic angry version of it that sort of just railed against capitalism and it was set in a kind of neo future with neon lights it was very 80s inspired um and there was a lot of gender androgyny and a and a lot of like playing around with gender roles that happened in it and it it, it sort of was a bunch of things and no one thing and i think that's what ended up being the problem with it um but um it was fascinating to be in the F yeah. was used a lot in that production. And you and Madonna have kept in touch? Yeah, we 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 um we FaceTime a lot. 
So we're <laughs> we're constantly on FaceTime. You know, well, I think she's got a new face. <laughs> new FaceTime. I think she's got new FaceTime because I saw FaceTime. a picture of her well, and I'm like, ooh, yes. I Matt. mean, every time she's got to show me where the Botox is landing, you know, you know, I got to see the first week and then I got to see after week three just to see where it all settles, you know. I hear she's got a real friendly uh, handshake. <laughs> yes, she, um, Stephen, you're going to get me in trouble with random people that I don't know. But um, she refused to look at me when she shook my hand when I met her. She, um, she wouldn't look at me and she gave me maybe the limpest handshake I've ever had in my life. Um, I had seen her after that at one of Carlos's birthday parties. I think, I think she's probably really shy with, she probably meets a lot of people, but um, um, I had seen her after that and she was much nicer to me with the first time that I met her. She was not, she was not very kind to me. It's probably, yeah, I would say looking at the person with the, the persona of what she has, what she is off the stage is probably very like, it's a security thing. It's a, yeah, absolutely. It's probably an insecurity thing. Yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of celebrities since then, and I think I understand it a lot more now than I did then. But, like, yeah, unfortunately, being famous means that, like, you don't – there's there's not a lot of private space for you except for at home. Like, when you're out, people just follow you. Well, also, like, everyone she meets, she's got to go, wow, they've seen me naked. That's you know? true. I mean, that's true. Well, I don't know if she cares. I don't think she cares about that. She doesn't strike me as – I, I also, there might be a little bit of envy in your production of uh, Three Penny because, you know, Madonna has always wanted to be a certain kind of celebrity trying to be the star in Evita, the movie, which she did great in. But, you know, she's always wanted to be the singer that she kind of never really was. She was always just a great performer, entertainer. Marketer. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, maybe no, there was really also a little bit of jealousy of, of you being in a place where she would like to actually be even though i think she did what speed the plow yeah she, she did and yeah. i don't think it was well reviewed but... no i don't think it was i mean she's a good she's a great artist i mean maybe if she had jealousy it would be for cindy and cindy was fantastic in that production and so mm -hmm. and what a character to be around like what the first it? day of rehearsal cindy raised her hand and she was like so what happens if i forget my lines <laughs> and, and Scott, Scott, our director, was like, Cindy will rehearse the show enough so you won't. She was like, well, I don't know. Last week I did a, a benefit and I forgot my lines and I, I you know, I, I just stood there looking like an idiot. So <laughs> she's so unusual. She's amazing. She's an amazing human being who is, you know, she is she's not what you think she would be. Totally. I think she gave me a penis whistle, whistle for opening night. For an opening a, a penis whistle? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Just in case you need to call for help. I guess so. Um, she was uh got just a little bit after that. She would be working on Kinky Boots. Yeah, yeah. I haven't um, seen her in a little while. Um, but she, she's an amazing human being. I really... Hey, Neha, it says that you studied. We're starting out in biology and pre medical studies. Is that true? Yeah, where did you, you got like um, some sort of... Uh, no, I have... <laughs> you got my I FBI have, file? What do you got there? We have no, a producer. I have an assistant and I'm also friends with Bill Barr. Uh, you're friends with Bill Barr, really? No. <laughs> uh, Bill Barr but, used but, to but, run but, James but, Madison University where I went to school, so... But a little tidbit, Sean Spicer lives across the street. From you? Or, yeah. Really? Yeah, he wow. spotted it at our 7-Eleven. Anyway, what I was going to ask you was, I love the fact that you started out 
maybe thinking about biology and pre-medical studies. Yeah. Do you, do, is that still kind of a little bit of a love affair of yours with uh, science and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think I take a very scientific approach to the arts. I mean, I don't know if that's just because I'm Indian or, and it's like in my blood or, or like, because I, I do love, I do love science. I like the human body. I like how, I like to know how things are put together. Um, but I think in the end, I just realized that I liked medicine because I liked the drama of it, I think. Like ER. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I was also sort of attracted to the drama of it. Um, helping people, you know, like being, yeah, I don't know. Does that, does that also work like even vocally, like figuring out like, I don't want to say how to sing, but you know, uh, the biology of performing and I, having. I don't know if I did vocally. I mean, I wish I knew more about more like sort of about the vocal technique it takes to perform, even though I'm a singer and I sing, I've sung in musicals before. I never really studied that and uh, should have. And I still think I should have. Um, I still think I should, but I, I'm more sort of interested in how people are put together and how, you know, the sort of emotional life is put together, how, you know, cultural, uh, how cultural affects a person, how society affects a person, you know, the different things that mold a human being, I think I'm much more interested in than the, you know, the minutia of vocal technique, even though I should learn that to be a better singer. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, I was think I was more interested in sociology than I was biology in the end. And um, so, well, you can, you can, I mean, every show you work on, there is a, uh, a social experiment in, in your character or the theme or the setting that you're going to be working in, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's exactly, I think that's how all character men look at it in this sense. And especially if you want to have a political bent to all of your art, you have to look at it that way. Um, we are all multifaceted, but I think we are also all very similar. And I think that how all three of us have worked um, um, has been to display our own humanity as succinctly and specifically as possible so that other people will see their humanity, you know? Now, in your um, performance in the revival of Les Mis. Oh, in, on Broadway? On Broadway. Yeah. Um, was that, it seems to me like that would be one of those experiences where night after night, like, you know, you sometimes can, you know, have shows you feel like, oh, the audience was into it or whatever. But it seems like uh, there's, you know, a handful of those shows. And Lady Miz is one of those shows where night after night, the audience and the cast are in true tandem with that, you know, that show and the way it ends and the themes through it. I mean, it's just, it was, I'm assuming it was a beautiful experience. I, I, you know, you would assume that it wasn't as much fun as I wanted it to be. And I think a lot of us who did that cast, that, that production, that cast was incredible. Like Norm Lewis was in it, Alex Gimignani, Celia Killian-Bolger, Justin Bohan, who I think had been, had won a Theater World Award, was in the ensemble. Like they had, they had heavy hitters. Uh, we had Daphne Rubin-Vega and then Lea Salonga. Lots of people were in this, this cast. Um, What's the time? Yeah, we had a great, we had a great cast and we were sort of sold that we were going to do this brand new production of Les Mis. And then when we showed up, it sort of ended up just being the same production with two less feet in the proscenium. Um, and and, a, and a windows projection. Yeah. And it, I mean, it wasn't, 
I mean, if you're not in a, a principal in that cast, it can be very thankless. I had like 32 costume changes and that's what ended up being what my, what my show ended up being about. And you're not kidding about the audience reaction to it. The audience absolutely loved it. And there are people who come to see it repeatedly. I think there was one woman who saw it like 32 times and this is like Broadway discounted prices. She saw 32, she, like 32 times in a year. She saw Les Mis. Wow. It was unbelievable. Um, and people love that show. Um, but it wasn't as rewarding being in the ensemble because it came so much more about being in a machine and coming off Three Penny Opera, which was such a different experience, which was so like alive and trying to be art, even though it may have been failing at that. It was trying to do something different to going into something that was kind of commercial and it was much more of a machine. You know, it, it had come off a tour at that point, which Les Mis's, the last two revivals, our revival and the one that was after that, were both coming off tour. So they were sort of set into being a certain way. And so they were just trying to, in a sense, just make money off something they had already established. Um, what, what year was that, Nahal? 2006. So it was right after Three Penny. I booked... Les Mis right after Three Penny Opera, which was insane. Um, and didn't you do Les Mis somewhere else? I did it in Dallas Theater Center, which was a completely different experience. Um, Can you talk about that? Because that was a little yeah, different. I did a production that was sort of a, it was called the Occupy Wall Street Les Mis, and it became very popular on like Reddit and Tumblr. Um, it was directed by Liesl Tommy, who some of the DC people may know has directed um, Kid Victory at Signature, and she directed um, Macbeth at Shakespeare Theater, um, and she's directing the upcoming Aretha Franklin biopic. Um, but Liesl had, had never directed a musical before and had never seen Les Mis, and so she knew nothing about it. And so we went into it with a completely sort of blank slate when it came to any sort of ideas or preconceived notions about it. And so she wanted to create a production that was really coming out of her her upbringing in South Africa and post-apartheid. And she wanted to, um, I guess, do something new with this musical, which is why people should do revivals so they can talk about, A, the time we live in, but also say something new about it. And created this, this very hip, very political Emiz, and uh, because I had been in the show before and knew it, and Ed Watts, who played Javert, um, had done it before, we had a baseline of what the show structure was and how it should be. And we went back to the book and started reading, I started reading the book again, and we started, uh, we were allowed to kind of bring some of the relationships that were in the book that got lost in the musical back to what was already on the page there. For example, Valjean in the book is not a very nice person. I mean, up until even after he meets the bishop in the beginning of it, he's kind of a jackass. I mean, he his come to Jesus moment, if you want to say, it was him literally stealing a, like money from a child. And so we got to bring back some of that. Uh, we got to bring back some of those elements that were in the Hugo that weren't um, in uh, that weren't in the Broadway production. And we got to modernize it. It was it, it, it was modern without saying it was modern it was in the program it's in the contract that you have to say it was set in whatever year it's set in um but it was a very modern production i mean the, there were guns that were you know nine millimeters on stage and um when the students all get shot you hear a police call like you know you know like you would hear over a police scanner and there was police tape to put up and um 
people people's houses were being foreclosed on and you had you had policemen coming out and dumping during look down you you see policemen dumping people's clothes out on the street um like we were seeing in 2008 during the when the housing bubble was bursting right so it was um, a very it was a like and people started people started hearing about it on the internet and they were losing their minds and people we did talk back after every show and one of the things that became a thing to do on Tumblr or Reddit is to say where you would come from. And we had people coming from Turkey, from London. We had people coming from Australia. Um, one of those Mizzies, as they're called, drove all the night, all through the night from Baltimore to Texas, Dallas, Texas, to see the production. And um, the, the run sold out. Like, they were selling premium seats for $500 by the end of the run. Wow. What, what, Maddie, what was your character you played in Les Mis? Uh, Montparnasse. You were great. I was what? Jolie. You were Jolie. Angelina Jolie. That was a great production. Actually, that production influenced. It's because of that production that we got to do our production, Eric's production. Because I, uh, Liesl had found out that there was possibly they might shut us down because of the costumes and because of the modernization, quote unquote, of the play. And um, I had seen you guys do it um, at Signature. And because of that, I was like, they were wearing leather coats and you know there wasn't all the tricorn hats and all that stuff so you should call you know should call signature and see how they got the rights to do that and they ended up doing that and we got our production approved yeah Uh, we we had like like leather pants and oh god we were it was like a gay club we were shirtless with leather pants on i mean it was very german expressionist like it was very like german industrial sort of uh, and a beautiful design i mean those chairs at the top and the umbrellas coming down it was a beautiful design that production you guys were in um speaking of productions that we were in in dc that maybe we weren't but we got to see i loved you and alicia and nicholas in uh oklahoma at arena stage yeah, um, cool. And Ife, everybody, the entire cast was so fantastic. You played Ali Hakim mm-hmm. um, to a hysterical uh, detail. Um, t- that that was another show. Like, talk about like v- viral regional productions. Whether it's your Les Mis in Dallas or the Les Mis Signature, the Oklahoma was the same deal. Like high star power wattage and. Just, just a really great concept that really represented what the skin color of that region really was at that time. It wasn't a whitewash production at all. It was very integrated and and you know multicultural and and I will never forget. Before I let you talk, I I said this to Alicia when she was on as well, but I'll never forget. I was there. I think I saw it twice, um, but I was there when there was a discussion group uh, with with a local um, high school. And there was a, a young black girl who said, I saw myself on the stage today. Yeah. And it, it, it changed her. You know what I mean? It, we all have those moments, uh, or most of us do, that of, of like watching something when the fire is lit within us that we're like, oh, I want to do that. Yeah. And because I can see it, I can imagine myself there. And that's why representation is so important because you got to see it to be it. Um, Tell me what the experience of working on Oklahoma with, again, uh, we were just talking to Paul Vogt, who was in Oliver with me. Um, yeah. We were talking about just the incredible experience that working at Arena Stage really is. And you have a lot of experience there. So 
I'll let you speak to it. I mean, I, it was the reopening of the what I call the birdcage that they put over the old arena stage. Um, and uh, I, I really felt like there was Molly didn't. I, from what I understand, and I, I don't think she'll mind me saying this, Molly didn't necessarily want to do Oklahoma, but somebody else really wanted to do it. And so she decided to do it, but she wanted to do it her way, which for Molly is she's from Alaska. She's very. Um, She's very of the earth, I guess is a good way of putting her. Yeah. And so she wanted to create a production that was very much about like that. And Oklahoma, you know, it's become this kind of like stereotypical musical of the like the golden age musical. This sort of uh, I don't know what I want to say. it. It's not quite camp, but there's sort of rose colored glasses over the the piece and you have these dancing cowboys and these dancing farmhands and it, you know you you may be able to make assumptions about that um her production she wanted to go back to the idea of what oklahoma was when it started which was essentially what happened when the oklahoma territory was founded in 1907 was the u.s government went to borderline shot a gun off in the air and people ran to, to claim like four acres of land or something like that and this could be any this could be any ethnicity. You didn't have to just be white. Um, and that's where the, the term boomer Sooners comes from. The, the, the boomers were the people who waited for the gunshot and the Sooners were the people who snuck around the back and claimed their land before the gunshot happened. Um, and so uh, she wanted to create a production where it would look like the land, but also look like DC at the time, very multicultural. Um, and she wanted to, she wanted to do the play that she wanted to sort of honor Oscar Hammerstein, who has been lost a little bit in past productions of Oklahoma, I would say, because people think about how beautiful the music is. They don't think about how good the book is. And a lot of times it's because it's done kind of campy and cheesy. So she wanted to create a production where what if all of this could happen? What if these people were just, you know, saying these lines as if they were any other person? That we, we would dive into the emotional life of these characters, dive into the emotional reality of these characters, what the world they were living in, and how that affected the actions that they, they make on stage. And people thought that was incredibly revolutionary. It was just sort of looking at a, a musical the same way you would look at a play, you know? And people were always asking us after the show, what, how did you change the show? Why is the book so different? And we would say, the book isn't different. It's the same lines. We're just saying them like, people would actually say them and we're living out the moments like they would actually live them out. Um, she cast a 16 year old girl to play Edo Annie, which I think was a, a, a stroke of genius um, because Edo Annie as an older woman, she kind of seems like a strumpet. Um, right. Well, she's a 16 year old girl who's singing about not being, and is coming into her own sexuality. When you hear, I can't say no, you kind of buy it and you kind of root for her. And a lot of times I think what happens in Oklahoma is that you lose track of that Ado Annie, Will Parker, um, Ali Hackam storyline because you don't, you're not emotionally invested in it and it's just jokes. So you're just waiting for the jokes to pass so you can get back to the romance. And if you invest it with some emotional reality, then people actually buy into it and the jokes are even funnier and land better because there's an emotional truth behind it. And that production, yeah, I mean, the New York, the New Yorker magazine came to review us and, and said we were one of the 10 best performances of the year, which is insane for a show in DC. And we were mentioned in reviews of the Daniel Fish production that was on Broadway recently, still. And it's been 10 years since that production happened. Well, it was I was going to say, do you think your production arena maybe influenced a little bit of the idea of looking at it a different way for New York? Yes, I think, I mean, there. I, when we started that, there, after the year after us, there was two different multi, 
racial productions happening and people were talking about that. And then that branched out and there were much, many, many more multiracial productions of a lot of different musicals after that. And I think, you know, that was kind of the amazing things about the late 2000 aughts, I guess, or in the early 2010s is that that happened. Um, yeah, well, and, and I mean, this, this production happened way before any of the current theatrical discussions yeah. over the past year have happened. And to, to me, like seeing it, I've had many conversations with Alicia about this. Like she did not know, I, I'll never forget the day. I used to work at Ticket Place downtown on 7th and D, D for yeah. drama, uh, around the corner from Willie Mammoth. And she, she would frequently drop in to see me but she dropped in the day that she found out, you know, she was going in for this audition. And I was like, well, you know, Oklahoma, you know, those songs. She was like, no, I've, I've never had access to that. Yeah. I've never considered that. Because... Yeah, that's, the, that's the reality for a lot of us. I mean, yeah. people say that to me all the time. You know, these songs. And I'm like, why would I know these songs? Right. What is the precedent? What is the, you know, and it's... It, so when I, and I just looking at my, you know, best friend, I was like, well, yeah, you're going to be Lori. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you? Not occurring to me that, oh, of course. So there's there this... never been a Lori that looked like her. You exactly. I mean? She'd never seen a one. I mean, I'd never seen a Lori that looked like her and she was fantastic in it. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's just so kind of, I don't want to trivialize it. It just seems so silly that, that, you you have to provide examples of this happening for it to happen. But we We're, have to make it silly. I mean, I've made a whole career out of trying not to be the right ethnicity, though we met doing a play where I was very much an Indian actor. I've tried to make a whole career out of not doing it because I want, I want exactly that moment. I want people to realize how silly it is that my what the color of my skin does not matter necessarily to the humanity that I represent. And, and that can be from an Indian, that can be from my entire Indian background with all of the cultural baggage that I bring with me. All of us bring baggage with us. And that baggage has unifying themes. And there's no reason that I can't play Jean Valjean like I did in that Dallas production of Les Mis and have people not empathize with me just because I don't come from anywhere near the background they do. Exactly, exactly. And and yeah, that's so it's so dumb, you know. It is, it's, but I think the, I mean, the great thing about this time is people are waking up to that, you know, and they're still angry and I get it. And it, they're angry because they they only see the world through the lens that they see it in. And writers, you know, they write with themselves in mind a lot of times. And so if you have a white writer, they often white write through a white lens. Yeah. Um, but that's changing, you know, people are I, becoming more open. We had Diana Huey on here who there was a big, you know, white fragility uh, happening of when she was cast as Ariel in The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the insanity of that. I mean, it, the tweets, the death threats, the things that she had to deal with. And she was like, you guys, it's a fish girl. Like, it doesn't exist. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It's a fish girl. None of it is real. I mean, I use this word re reality, emotional reality for stage work, but I even hate the word real when it comes to theater because none of it is real it's all fake yeah it's all representational it can be anything absolutely and and who cares my goodness it's all right so 
I I started to get mad when I talk about that too much. Uh, yeah. I'm gonna move on. Let's talk about ice cream, Matt. What is your favorite ice cream flavor? No, Matt has quit. He left. What? Um, yeah, he. You know, he said it's been 23 years, Stephen, but I'm just. I'm, <laughs> this conversation has just pushed me away. This also um, happens when we're in a bar with me and Matt and Stephen. As I end up talking to Stephen all night. Yeah, Matt, I don't, Matt stares at me, and I, I, I love him silently. Matthew has. Did someone just request me? Yes, Matthew stepped away from <laughs> the microphone. I'm sorry. I'm on a liquid diet. It involves water, vodka, and some more water. What kind of vodka is it? To uh, Tito, I was just Tito's. 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 Tito's should totally make vodka. How good would that be? It, the Connor and Smith vodka show. <laughs> Um, and so, what is your favorite smaller. ice cream? Nahal said. What's yeah. my favorite ice cream? Yeah, ice cream. Oh my gosh! Well, I have to be honest. Okay, so I was raised in the country where my parents would make homemade ice cream. Oh, so, I, I'm, so I'm gonna have a few shout outs. Okay, growing up, uh, I loved it when my mom made like a blueberry or blackberry or some sort of berry ice cream. Uh huh. However, when I would go to Highs, if anyone remembers the Highs, oh yeah, Highs, Seven Eleven, me and my aunt Emma, we used to always get ourselves the butter brickle, which is sort of like a toffee flavored ice cream with little chips in it. Amazing. Um, but I'm an ice cream person. Like I don't know if I could pick a favorite flavor because I'm that person that really enjoys. I mean, outside of like maybe a random coconut thing, I can eat any sort of. Dairy, and I probably shouldn't, but um, that's why I get raspy. You get raspy because of dairy. I, I get raspy, and they call me in to do roles. Uh, uh, originally, uh, played by Elaine Stritch. <laughs> you would be a great Joanne. I'm just saying. Can well, we do that? are we allowed to do that in 2021? Oh yeah, look at the company that's coming back to Broadway. Yeah, let's let's we can go the other way, can't we? Well, I just finished directing Always Patsy Klein with Patsy Klein and Louise near the Two Women Show. Yeah. And I'm thinking about maybe me doing it, but playing both parts. I think you'd be amazing. If you paint like half your face as Patsy Klein and the other half is Louise, so you can just jump back and forth. The story's not really about the letters I received. It's actually the sequel about the letters I did not get. <laughs> and just sort of angry and bitter about. And I'm actually writing to Patsy and saying, where are you now? What I'm um, hearing is you should write a sequel to Always Patsy Klein called Never Patsy Klein. <laughs> No, it's just like, it's just like uh, Louise. <laughs> yeah. Louise exclamation point. Because what happens is. It doesn't I, have the name draw well, recognition. But what happens is, is I start to get feelings for Pats. Who doesn't, honestly? If you've seen a production of Always Patsy Klein, who doesn't? Stephen, am I holding up your podcast? Always. I'm kidding. Um, so no, Talking about ice cream. Sorry, everybody. No, I, I had to go pee. I everybody to go write pee. in their favorite flavor of ice cream. Yes, comment. <laughs> um Rate, review, subscribe, comment. Um, all right, we're just going to do a few like wrap up questions here because your time is valuable and mine is not. Is this mine? My go? Um, Are no. you going to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay. Yeah. All right, Nehal, what's the worst job you ever had? I was uh, in the accounts receivable department of a used car dealership once, which uh, meant that I had to like sort of be around the dealer, the like car dealers, uh, the salesman's commissions, which was not a fun job. Car salesmen are some of the not are kind of scum. <laughs> Sorry wow. to any car salesmen out there. 
you know, it, it just so happens we sneaky. have a huge audience base. I, I mean, I know that's your that's your demographic. So I that's our niche. Bad, you know, brought to you sponsored by Dotson. <laughs> um, or Dodge. What is <laughs> sponsored by Orsman Dodge? Great case, Dodge. great cars. Remember that that channel? Yep. Pat Oswald does a great bit about it. He's from Northern Virginia, by the way. Pat Oswald. Great that's, uh, that's correct. That's right. Yeah. We, a lot of famous people from here. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know what my worst job was? Yes, I, I do. Okay. I worked in the back of KFC and was a cook. Well, and I'm not gonna, I'm just going to stop there. Were you I in charge people. of Extra Crispy or Original? I was in charge of both, but I think they both turned out the same. <laughs> I think it, I think I could have called it like the original extra crispy. I think that's the secret is they are both the same. Yeah, yeah. And it has, I'll be honest, KFC has gone downhill since I left. Well, I, I mean, honestly, everything's gone downhill since you've left. Basically, yeah. I mean, that's, that's why, why the Creative Calder is an amazing place now because they have you. All right, all right, Stephen, go. Good. What's my worst job? Yeah, yes. whatever you want to talk about. Um, I think I might remember this, but go ahead. I think we have eight more minutes. I think it's uh, the Secret Garden at Old <laughs> Theater. No, 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 no. First of High all, on the hill is a lovely kachink. First of all, you can't say call it the Secret Garden if there are no secrets. There was no garden. There was no garden. We had a. It was a secret, was a secret trellis. trellis. Yep. Secret Let's write the kids show the secret no, trellis. No, just I will di- divert real briefly because there was a big storm in 2002, and this is why it's the worst job I ever had. There was a big, big, terrible storm. Every theater in their mother was was closed, not only, and we had to come from Virginia, and we were responsible actors. We left super early, like three o'clock. Yeah, we left early. And we checked in with our stage manager every, it took us hours and hours to get there. It was like a powerboat we were in at some times going through the, wading through the water that we drove through to get there. It, it was horrific. I believe I I peed in a water jug in your back seat. I think you did that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I wish you would have kept it. We could have sold it on eBay or Gross. something. Gross. Anyway, um. Then when we got there, even though we left early, checked in with stage management, we were harangued when we got there. Harangued? Because yeah. we were 10 minutes late. Yep. Oh, my God. Who do we write? And there were more people in the cast than there were in the audience for that show. That is so rude. Do they realize that we are friends with someone who has been in a show who knows someone who shook hands with Madonna? I mean... <laughs> I mean, I've met Lucy Simon since then, so there, there's also that aspect okay, to it. Okay, Stephen, you said every theater and their mother was closed. Yeah. At, what does that mean? Well, every theater plus... I mean, their mothers all took a nap, is what... Yeah, he, exactly. Yeah. Okay, okay, I just want to clear that up. The mothers were closed to going they to were, the theater. They were closed. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. I, I'm from the old school. Thus all they right. did show. Yeah, uh, Nehal, what's something that you like that most people don't? Um, uh, the smell of gasoline, is that... Is that fair? It's literally the first thing that came to my mind. Really? Yeah, I like the smell of gasoline. Like tires. I like the smell of tires. Petroleum, I guess. Is that from all the time in the used car place? I think it's from my bad sinuses. I really think it's the only thing that like penetrates my horrible sinuses. I think that's really what it's about. Wow. I'm like, oh, I can smell that. And I think that's what it's about. If there was a sandwich named after you, Nahal, what what would be on it? Um, (laughs) Bologna. Um, I don't know. I like this eggplant parmesan. I think eggplant parmesan would be on it. It would have to be vegetarian for my Indian upbringing. 
who would play you in a movie about you? God, it would probably be Cal Penn because I wouldn't get cast in my own <laughs> to playing myself. It would probably be Dev Patel or Cal Penn at this point. Um, and now we have just three more. Matt, you want to start it out? Should I change? Do I have a costume change? Um, if you'd yes, like, if but... you have a boa, please. Do you have an up tempo, Matt? Um, <clears throat> actually, my up tempo and my ballad are the same. I just sing my ballad faster. Wonderful. So it's always it's always from closer than ever. <laughs> I do it. I'm gonna do closer than ever the one man show. You're gonna do three friends just to you. Yes. Um, Nahal. Um, the musical everyone, theater nerds are laughing up a storm right now. What's that? That joke killed with the musical theater nerds. <laughs> I um. Everyone during the pandemic was like learning French, and I'm googling how to bake bread. Was there anything during the past year that you like were like, okay, I'm I'm gonna learn this. I'm gonna go back and learn some video editing skills. I, I mean, we all became suddenly like our own production teams. So I did do that. Um, the skills that I picked up, I um, I became kind of a small sports gambler a little bit. I like sports because I think it's like reality television without the editing. And so I became kind of a small time sports gambler. Which is now oh, legal wow. in Virginia, and it was kind of fun to be honest with you to figure um, out. We just I didn't realize this... how much work it is. There's a lot of research that goes into being a degenerate. In case you're wondering, um, we just found out during the course of the last podcast we were doing that the first NFL football player came out as gay. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Carl Nassib. He plays for the uh, he plays for the Las Vegas Raiders. So good for him. Good for you. Very, very cool. Uh, did you watch the JMU uh, softball team? I did not. I did not. I've been watching a lot of soccer because that was my sport growing up. I I, I, we, we watched the last uh, games with JMU trying to beat um, Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah, sadly. And then after they didn't win, I was like, okay, we're not going to watch this shit. Yeah. This is a stupid game. Yeah, all the, the big fish always eat the little ones. So, um, Cable. Netflix during the pandemic, did you like, because you're home and usually you would be out doing stuff at Studio 54, did you like, oh, I finished the entire season of Harry I did, Potter? I am, not a, I am not a binge watcher. It is not something I can ever, it is one of the things that is weird about me is that I cannot, I, I'm, I can't get addicted to a show. Like I watched all of Ted Lasso, which I loved. I, I watched, you know, I watched all the things that everyone else watched, Tiger King and, you know, Queen's Gambit and all that. And I watched all of it, but I watched it very slowly because I just, I cannot sit and watch a bunch of television. I get too distracted and then I'll need to write or I'll need to read an article about something. Um, so you were the 18th millionth person on our podcast because we've had 18 million, million yeah. podcasts. Wow. wow. It's like, a, Seems like, you're it. like a, you're like a McDonald's. Yeah. It's like a billion here <laughs> served with really, um, and everyone mentions Ted Lasso. Everybody. Ted Lasso is it's because it's just nice you know like the one problem I have with television over the last 10 years is that it is it has become increasingly a thing that is just created to to give you as much anxiety as possible so you become somewhat addicted to it and Ted Lasso does not do that it does not give you anxiety it's just it's clever it's funny and it's kind and there's not a lot of kindness in television these days and I think that's one of the greatest things about it. I think that's why people needed it, especially during the pandemic when everything was going to hell. Um, I, I think the three of us should just write a new show for Netflix. I think we should. We should you, call you, it. Pat, go ahead. 
<laughs> Patsy exclamation point. It's called Patsy. Pat. No, it's called Patsy question mark. That's right. <laughs> um, you you just mentioned a little dropped a little tidbit in there that you write. Yeah, sometimes. I don't what write do for write? other people. I don't write for other people. I write for myself. Like I, actually, you know, one of the side jobs I had, I should have said this too. One of the side jobs I had during the pandemic was speech writing, was um, ghost speech writing. So I was doing a little speech writing during the pandemic because of, um, it was political season, obviously. It was a presidential election, but there were also other bunch of little tiny minor elections. And I was doing a little ghost writing. I had gotten into a, a couple years back helping a friend of mine, um, with his speeches that for a candidate that he worked for. And then after that, I got passed on to some, you know, local people who are like doing speeches for their rotary clubs or, you know, for benefits and stuff like that. So I was doing a little ghost writing on that. Are you a fan of Stephen King? I like Stephen King. I'm, I wouldn't call myself a fan, but I, I love his work. Have you ever seen his book called On Writing? Yes, I've seen it. I haven't read it, but it's good. I well, I have to good. say, I'm not a Stephen King fan. Yes, you are. Well, I mean, I'm not a follower of like... You haven't read the books. No, I don't read the books, and I, I do like it. <laughs> I watch the movies. I'm a fan of Stephen King. I watch all of his stuff being translated by other people. But I have to say, Neha, I downloaded his audiobook, and I've got the book, because it helps me to read a book with audiobook, because I'm, I have that horrible focus problems. Yeah. But there's something really beautiful with Stephen King's book about how to write. It's so... It's really been a beautiful journey. I'm sad that I'm almost done with it. I want to, I want to, I definitely should get in that. You guys are such great writers. I hope everyone saw on air and when it was on YouTube. I think we did reach like six. <laughs> you reached six people? Well, I, I was one of those six people. So there you go. It, it was more I than thumbed six. Up. I guess um, well, look, we see Stephen has one more question. We, we, if we go over an hour, Dodge uh, pulls out his, their sponsorship. Orisman Dodge. <laughs> Crystal Coons. Totally, totally, totally. Let's do it quick. What's the right, question, Steven? Steven? Um, the best question? one yet. So all the pressure. M Matthew is producing our colleague Susan Derry's holiday album. That's called oh. "I Wish It So," um, and it's been getting us thinking about what a wish really is and means as a manifestation. Um, and then we are we started working with one of our other podcast guest Sushmita Mazumdar who's an artist who has a studio here in Arlington um, and I've created this wish box that uh, I've been writing the wishes of our guests down on and then we're going to have an event in uh, the fall where it's an unboxing of the wishes that will kind of look and then Sushmita will take things a piece of paper and do like art things with the actual wishes so it's going to be a whole thing um, but I've been asking everybody just for yourself, your family, the country, the world, the first thing that pops to your head, what do you wish more than anything in the world? This, uh, I wish, hmm, I wish, you know what? I wish that it was, it was more important to be kind than to be right. That's wow. what I wish for the world. I, you know, it's funny. I was I, a, a while back and I remember this moment very succinctly. I was on the subway and I remember seeing this kid with his family and he saw this church and he was like, look, mommy, look at that beautiful house. And all like the rest of his family members started laughing, giggling at him. And, um, and she was like, that's not a, that's not a house. That's a church. And uh, I could see him sort of get crestfallen by that. And it really touched me because it made me think, man, I wish we lived in a world where it was better to be kind than to be right. Also what a teachable moment that was missed. Yeah. That's, that's not just, 
a house that's a house where this happens or that's yeah you know that's yeah uh, yeah so more kindness more yeah. kindness indeed yeah i mean um, it, i mean it, it's kumbaya but it's true i mean we live in a world where it, dude, identity is made by being right and then carving out a, a a space where you can be singularly right and people can follow your rightness but dude, i will take some kumbaya after the four years we've just had it's true um yeah, that was not fun well, thank you for catching up with us in front of kidding? live, uh, not so live audience. I know um, all of you got to hear us catch up. With... Yeah, it it was you heard it here. Um, this is what the people want, Nehal. They want yeah, this reunion. Well, they want they they wanted to hear about Matt's sequel to Always Patsy Klein. That's and what they ice wanted. cream and what ice his ice cream favorite ice cream. Again, comment what's your favorite ice cream flavor below. Yeah, please do. And also, we we're, hear it. We, we're birthday twins. We have a birthday coming up. That's right. We're the day after each other. What are you going to do? I'm, um, I'm at the Williamstown Theater Festival, so I may be in rehearsal that day. What are you? What are you? Can you say what you're rehearsing for? I'm rehearsing a musical called Row, which is R O W, about Tori Murden, who is the first woman who rode across the Atlantic by herself. Oh wow! Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating production. It's going to be outdoors in the reflecting pool of an art museum. Oh, that's, that's cool. cool! Wow, that's it's a, about a lot cooler than the Patsy Project. It's, it's, it's. I've gotten to do some cool stuff, and I started the pandemic at a theater, and I'm reopening, I guess, or coming out of the pandemic at a theater, which is I'm very lucky to be able to do that. And well, I love you guys. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you guys because yes, we love my, you too. I we miss you, you and um, we hope to reconnect next time you come see your parents. Give us a call. I will. I All right, need to hang out. That All right, you guys, fun. I hope everyone's out there is having a good day and um, finds being joy. kind to people. Yeah. yeah, do something nice for somebody. It'll make you feel All better. All right, we love you, Nehal. All right, you guys. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye. So great to catch up with Nehal. Love him. Uh, can't wait to see him again, Nehal, next time you're in Virginia. Give us a ring. Um, 703. <laughs> I was going to give the phone number. Give us a ring. 703 555 Anyway, um, if you want to find out more about us, you can go to our website, www.connor with an ER, Smith musicals.com that's connorsmithmusicals.com find us on facebook under connor and smith uh if you get a second please subscribe rate review to our podcast really helps us out a lot um and as we always say turn, turn your, your heart, heart into art bye everybody